Hey everybody, Captain Andy Comics is right about to start, but there's a lot of great podcasts on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, including this one. Hi, my name is Stacy Pressman, and I'm the host of the Pressman Hour Podcast, along with my co-host Angela Riley. I'm a comedian, I'm a provocateur, and I like to talk about everything and anything that comes to my head. Me and my co-host Angela, we kind of fight about stuff. Sometimes we have great guests, so if you have like an hour to spare and you're not doing anything... Listen to the Pressman Hour on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. It's time for Caffeinated Comics, a lively discussion and debate on comics, film, television, and collectibles, all fueled by the magic of Frappuccinos. And now, here's your hosts, John and Steven. Thank you, this is Caffeinated Comics. I'm your host, John Clark. I cannot stop talking about Picard. It's my favorite show right now. I might even like it a little more than Mandalorian, and I just keep looking for more and more people to talk about it. Uh, we had J.B. Anderton a few weeks ago to talk about it, but I needed to go to the expert. I needed to get as in-depth as possible, so I talked to John Champion. Now, John Champion has been on the podcast about five years ago, um, and it's like no time has passed. If you don't know John, he is the host of the Mission Lock podcast. He's been doing that for about eight years now, covering every single episode of Star Trek ever produced. At the time they started, there was no Star Trek. They were going to finish the last Enterprise and be done. But now there's Discovery, now there's Picard, which he's doing as a Facebook Live podcast, which is also great. The last episode I listened to of the Facebook Live podcast, I got really, really jealous that I wasn't on because there was so much I wanted to ask him. So here he is, and now I can ask him. Let's get to it. The last time we talked, I think uh, you were still in Next Generation. And now, obviously, the big thing that's happened is they started producing more Star Trek, which has completely shifted your workload. But what I find interesting is you're into is it season four of d space nine now yeah we are about eight episodes into season four of ds9 yeah oh okay so you're watching ds9 against picard and discovery so you you i believe are entering the darkest part of (laughs) star trek both both in the past and in the present at once uh, darker than into darkness, because they they really made a point of telling you that you were going into darkness. In yeah, Star but Trek I, into darkness. I yeah. feel like they went into the darkness. They didn't stay there. No, no, no. <laughs> D Space yeah. Nine, you'll be there for years. Yeah, right. right. Well, how how are you feeling about the franchise? I know a lot of people uh, recoil from Deep Space Nine, and I know there's a lot of controversy even on your uh, yeah. Facebook podcast about that this is not. Roddenberry's vision. This is not the positive view of humanity. Um, on your show, I know you go detail by detail, point by point, and talk about the morals, meanings, and messages. But yeah. for this, I I kind of want to take a step back and talk about character and tone and sure. how you're feeling. How are you feeling about the franchise, where you are in it, and where it is? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, look, let me preface everything by just saying that Anytime somebody says uh, the words Roddenberry vision or, you know, what Gene wanted or anything, I I take that with just a huge grain of salt for a couple of reasons. You know, one is that Gene was only around for so much of Star Trek. Now, it's his baby. Nobody can take that away from him. Um, He was visionary. 
He had some great ideas. And as a lot of writers have said, um, he could make a mediocre script great and he could make a great script mediocre. <laughs> um, and he even even when he was alive, he only had his hands in so much of Star Trek. So there are a lot of Star Trek's sort of crowning moments that owe a lot less to Gene. Yeah, you know, people like Gene L. Coon and yeah, Gene Coon and Bob Jossman and certainly Nick Meyer. Yep. You know, um, it, who Nick Meyer uh, not only was not around from the beginning, he gasp was not a Star Trek fan. Didn't really know anything about it when he came in to do Wrath of Khan, and yet Wrath of Khan is right up there at the top of every Trekkie's list of favorite movies. So um, I think it's important to kind of pick apart what it is that Gene said Star Trek was all about. Uh, but we also really have to put that into a few contexts. We have to look at, okay, what, what did he say at the beginning he wanted Star Trek to be? What, but what did they actually make? You know, right. uh, because TV is collaborative and it is a business and they were just fighting to keep that business going. Um, then you have to look at, how Gene changed in the 70s during that kind of slow time for Star Trek. Yeah, you had the animated series, but then you also had a lot of downtime as we're waiting for the first movie to come, which was going to be a TV show, then it was going to be a different movie, then it was going to be another movie, you know, and right. then we got the motion picture. Um, and even with Next Gen, yes, Star Trek got to be his baby again, uh, but that became a very different show when you get into seasons two and three and beyond. Right. So when, when Rick Berman and Michael Piller take more of a hand and Gene starts to take a back seat, that's yeah. actually the next generation people remember. Right. Right. It truly is. And um, and, you know, also after that first season, people like Bob Justman, Dorothy Fontana, David Gerald, they were all gone, too. And right. these were people who had their hands in the original series. So. You know, that's one reason that I take all of that with a grain of salt. The other reason is this. Um, I have tremendous respect for Gene. Uh, didn't know him. Didn't didn't meet him. I mean, I saw him when I was a kid on the college lecture, lecture circuit. I was like 10. Um, and I have a lot of respect for his son because we're friends and we get to talk about this stuff a lot. Um and I think what's really important is that when you do hold people near and dear and you do respect them, you also don't put on the rose colored glasses. And um, there is a little bit of kind of gurufication of Gene that he might have been very amused by at a certain point in his life. Um, but he, he, he was a guy. He was a TV producer and writer. And was trying to make his formula stick and was trying to keep his shows on the air and trying to make a buck from it as he rightfully should. And those things are I think, I think hmm. a lot of people forget too that he didn't own Star Trek. No, exactly. You know, yeah. He was, you know, he's, uh, people put him up there with George Lucas, but yeah. he's really closer to a Chris Carter where he created the show and the studio kept him around and didn't let him go. Yeah. But there were, as we said, there were not only were there many people that came in and had their hands in it, there were many times where the studio just moved to that person right. and didn't feel the need to let Gene weigh in on that. 
Right, right. And, you know, there are very few people who ever have that kind of sweetheart deal. You mentioned George Lucas. Um, and again, you know, his ownership of Star Wars changed, obviously. Now Disney owns it. Um, and uh, Seth MacFarlane is somebody who has really been able to, I, I don't know how he does it. Look, I don't know how a guy that good looking, that funny and that good on a piano uh, can exist in this world. It's It's not fair. It's not fair. Yeah, I don't know how a guy comes out of a uh, Cartoon Network animation yeah. to run to host the Oscars. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and, and and has apparently uh, a tremendous amount of business acumen as well. Oh, uh, we but, have to. Yeah, yeah, but but those are really rare examples. You know, Gene, in the tradition of the way that TV works, is that you're a writer slash producer. You come up with an idea. Somebody else comes along and says, "Cool, we will produce your idea. Now we own it." Um, and, and that is, that is really as best as anybody can expect who is trying to make a dent in show business at all. Is that you come up with an idea, uh, you don't own that idea. If you're an animator at Disney and you come up with a great character, you don't own that character. Disney does. And to this day, 54 years later, 55 years later, uh, if you're, you know, counting the cage, uh, Roddenberry does not own Star Trek. There are agreements in place. The, there, uh, there is a relationship with CBS, and obviously that has changed a little bit over time because now there is new Trek, and you see the Roddenberry logo at the end of that, but anybody who works in the entertainment business can also tell you that doesn't mean that every single person listed on every single show has equal input and gets to call the shots. That's right. And in, in a yeah. lot of ways, it's like Marvel and Stan Lee. Stan never owned any of those superheroes. Right. Yeah. That is a very good point. Yeah. yeah but they took care of him and he was the face of the company really until the day he died. Yeah. Um, yeah but yeah. he hadn't really made an impact on the content since the late 60s. Yeah. Right. 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 So that is all a very long winded preface <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to get to what was really your question, which is. Star Trek's dark turn. Um, and well, my, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, I, my first, I, yeah, go, go ahead. <laughs> my first question is, are you enjoying it right now? Uh, yes, uh, for sure. Uh, enjoyment without question. Um, DS, when DS9 first came on and I was in college, it was really off the radar for, for me. And if I caught any of it, I didn't stick around for it. Um, partly because I didn't have the time to get invested in the characters. And it's rare that a TV show of any era just sort of grabs you right from the beginning. And even in 1993, it was, uh, or wait, it, it started in 90. Yeah. It started in 93. Yeah. 93. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not 93 to 99, I believe. Yeah. And even then, that was a different TV landscape than when Next Gen came on in 87. And that was a very different landscape from when Star Trek premiered in 1966. Yeah, and Deep Space Nine was a little harder to find. I remember yeah. liking it when it was paired up with Next Gen. They would show a two-hour block. Mm -hmm. And of course, because they were syndicated, this is before Voyager and UPN, any channel could have it on whenever they wanted. I think in New York, they were Monday nights. And yeah. but uh, once Next Gen ended and Voyager started on UPN, DC Sun was all over the place. It was on Saturdays for a while. It was on 
Tuesdays and I missed whole half seasons. I didn't actually finish it until Netflix, the days when they were mailing DVDs. Oh, wow. I decided, let me binge watch Deep Space Nine. And I had them mail me each disc from the season sets. And that's how I saw the whole thing. And that's about, uh, got, it must be about 2006. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and, you know, for whatever reason, it it didn't grab me at the time. And it wasn't that I didn't recognize that there was talent there. I mean, I think you can tell DS9 has a really great cast. Um, Certainly production value is terrific, but it just, for whatever reason, it didn't fire with me. So it was easy for me to sort of ignore it. Now, at the same time, I was still going to the next gen movies. I I was still a Star Trek fan, although I was less participatory at that time, just because, look, uh, I was working and going to school at the same time. That was in New York. Then I moved to Chicago right after that. And just, you know, your life takes you in different directions. And it wasn't until probably 2000, 2001 that I found myself really not, not rediscovering Star Trek, but rediscovering Star Trek fandom. And then that kind of put all those pieces back together for me. I was like, oh, okay, look, there's Star Trek that I haven't seen, and that's really cool. So I can go find that someday, but I'm also watching Enterprise at the time and anticipating then in the years after that uh, what was to come, like the the J.J. Abrams movies and and now where we are with a whole bunch of new Trek. Um, So DS9 was always, uh, I I think, as they looked at it themselves, this sort of redheaded stepchild of Star Trek. But, (laughs) you know, as much as uh, the the cast and crew sort of paint themselves that way, look, it was still Star Trek. It was still being produced by Paramount. It was still in syndication. They had it pretty good as far as TV shows go. They had, you know, they were in no danger of being canceled either, right? which, that, which was that, a deal that enterprise didn't enjoy. Yeah, exactly. And there are a lot of shows that, you know, a, a cast has great hopes and expectations. And then six episodes later, they are gone, never to be heard from again. Right. So yeah, DS nine may not have found the same audience as TNG, but it was still up there and they may not have had the same ratings it may not have had the same embrace of the fans but they still made it seven seasons and for as much as you could say about that show what you can't say is that oh the cast is bad or the writing is bad or the production values is bad no all, all those things are firing on all cylinders so what it comes down to as as a critique or a criticism is just trying to sort of reconcile where does this fit with the rest of star trek and um my my enjoyment of it is there but this is something that i'm asking myself all the time specifically because of mission log and also because now we have other new trek that challenges us the same way right uh uh, space time was interesting in that it was never the only show on Mm -hmm. uh it always had something to kind of carry that torch so it had the opportunity to be a little weird yeah and to to kind of go off the rails and it uh, i've also just realizing i think with picard coming on how much of an anomaly next gen really was because you and i are about the same age Mm -hmm. so we're both gen xers yeah we're both 29 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> we're Jack. We're Jack Benny. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> in which we died in the late sixties. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, if your experience was like mine, um, Star Wars kind of Star Wars went off like an atom bomb, and that led me yeah. to reruns of of Trek on TV, but it wasn't till wrath of Khan that it really crystallized that this was mm. something I cared about. So when I look back on my era, my era is really those original films because the first TV shows from the sixties and when next gen comes on, uh, we're in high school and that yeah. the first couple of seasons are rough and I didn't make it. I, I made it to about probably the death of Tashi Chashi Yar. Mm -hmm. And then I just fell. I just fell yeah. out of it. And it wasn't until actually Leonard Nimoy appeared when Star Trek VI was going to come in theaters mm. that I, I checked that out and went, wait, this show's got, actually gotten really good. But as I'm finding now, um, I have a lot of friends that are millennials, and they consider that to be Star Trek. Yeah. They they yeah. look at Kirk and Spock as if they're Silver Age comics. They look at them like <laughs> right. like Stanley comic books. We know right. this happened. We know it started it. We know it was important. But really, next gen is what we care about. And what I'm learning now, especially seeing how much momentum Picard has, is next gen was really the hit. And yeah. then all of the shows that followed it were catering to the trek audience which slowly shrank over the three series but yeah, nothing yeah and it's not that d space nine wasn't good it's just that lightning struck next gen in a way it didn't strike any other series i mean the original series was canceled after three seasons yeah so it was a bigger hit than the original series even was and i think living in that shadow yeah that you have to almost exhaust yourself of next gen to get into deep space nine yeah, well, something that you just said is really important to recognize when you put Star Trek into context. Um, as you just said, the original series is three seasons, 79 episodes, and then it's gone for 10 years before the first movie comes out. Right, yes, but it's it, the ones that start to build that momentum because every local right. station just ran it all the time. Right, right, right. And, and then, uh, of course, there's the animated series as well, but that had less of an audience, less of a following, although I love the animated series. Um, yeah, but the animated series, I don't know, had much of an impact because I, I don't have memories of watching that as a kid. Yeah. And it never really got re-ran. I think Nickelodeon showed it a little bit in the 80s, but I never saw the whole series until they finally put it on DVD, which was after they had put out everything. Yeah, that was like 2006, around there. So I, yeah. Think, yeah. I think you, you had to know it was on, and yeah. obviously we were living in an era pre-Simpsons, so adults right. didn't really notice Saturday morning cartoons. Right, right, so exactly. I, I love the animated series, but I always felt there was more of a footnote. Yeah, yeah, well, exactly. There's, there were a lot of Star Trek fans who kind of dismissed it or it just wasn't in their face the way that Star Trek was, uh, the original series was. So then you've got another 10 years before Next Gen comes out. Uh, well, uh, not, not 10 years. I mean, uh, about eight years. So between uh, the motion picture and Next Gen. And really with the motion picture, what you had to do in that movie was reunite the cast. I mean, that that's you, you have so little baggage preceding that you have those 79 episodes and you just need to get that cast together and have a new adventure. Half your work is done right there. And so at that point, we're talking that movie, uh, 
two, three, and four before you get to next gen. So you only have X number of hours of Star Trek leading up to the premiere of next gen. Right. And people forget how big four was. The only reason there was oh, a yeah. next gen was because Star Trek four was such massive, a massive, hit. massive. Yeah. Um, but here we are then landing in 1987 with next gen coming on the air and they get to do what is the secret to making a sequel, which is make it the same, but different. So there's something about next gen that is a, a very, uh, recognizable, repeatable formula, which is put people on a ship called the enterprise, put them out in space, let them go do things and make it different enough from the original series, which they did, the design, the trapping, sort of the divisions of the characters are not quite the same Kirk, Spock, McCoy, but you get elements of, of what worked from that. So Next Gen, I'm, I'm trying to make the case here to say that Next Gen really has got everything working in its favor, even though there are fans who dismissed it before it came out because right. that's what fans do. I remember being 13 years old and a friend of mine said, oh, I read in, must have been Starlog or something like that. Uh, they have an android on board and his name is Data. <laughs> Can you believe they named the android Data? I'm like, oh God, that's so unimaginative and stupid. This is gonna flop. <laughs> you know? so, actually, actually, they named him Data. And Patrick Stewart's accent cold in data, and they all just followed Patrick Stewart. Yes, yes, that is correct. To the and point where now uh, I work in advertising. I do a lot of digital advertising. Yeah. And and people say data in conference rooms yeah. all the time. And oh, I'm like, I, Patrick Stewart is directly involved in this quarterly <laughs> report I'm dealing with. <laughs> That's so true. Exactly. Um, so – Next Gen really gets to accomplish what it needs to accomplish and and has the luxury of being in syndication and running for 178 episodes right. instead of 79 episodes. So there's another really important thing here about sequel building and, and uh, universe expansion here is that there's not enough TOS – at that point, I, you know, there, there's the 79 episodes and, and the four movies before you got to next gen there, there's not enough TOS that exists for next gen to just feel like a ripoff. And yeah, of course, I mean, they, they did stupid things like the naked now, which right. I, which I the wish second episode, I know this. And look, it's not a terrible idea. And, and there are some good moments that we get from that, but Come on. <laughs> you but know? they had they hadn't earned it. Had that happened in say season right. seven, right. when you knew the characters, it would have been interesting. But I, I remember Encounter at Four Points very long. They do a lot of introducing, yeah. a lot of elements. The Q plot is not really connected to the far point plot. It's oh, of course. Yeah. It just stretched from one hour to two. And then the second episode I go, Okay, well, we're really gonna get into it. And they literally just say, Oh yeah, the old Enterprise did this and we're gonna do this too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For for a show that from the beginning they kept saying, like, well, we we you know, we we can't even reference the original series, but you're doing a remake of an episode and just right. calling out I mean, they made yeah. such a big deal that there wasn't going to be a Vulcan on the ship. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. 
Um, but uh, so TNG in general, you know, for their 178 episodes, ha had this luxury of being able to explore strange new worlds. And sure, they could revisit some themes every now and then that TOS did. But I, I read something that really stuck out to me today, uh, which is, you know, when you go about writing a story that particularly in this huge franchise that is Star Trek, because now we've got a total of over 750 or 770 hours of Star Trek. Is that yeah, I think, I think I counted at one point when Enterprise ended, we were at like 781 and now we've, now really? we've had 26 discoveries and we're yeah. up to six Picards. Yeah. So you've and then got if you and then do you count the short treks as as oh, sure. separate episodes or are they extras or well the, the when you add up the number of minutes into number of hours you've got in at least a uh, nearly a couple of hours worth of short treks there right. uh, you know but the point is now you have so much and in the fandom's desire to see the same but different you run a real risk then of just cheapening what was powerful about the original. And I would show is that the perfect example uh, is Star Trek Into Darkness. You know, um, I, on my own show, <laughs> sitting in Rod's house, which is where we recorded that particular episode, we interviewed Bob Orsi and I basically asked him to defend how that's not a parody. Yeah. Uh, you know, because to the general movie going audience, Khan is something that George Costanza yells. <laughs> and to the Trekkie audience, this was a plot point and this was a moment earned for 20 years. You know, uh, so by by slipping in this moment, literally three hours and 20 minutes into our getting to know this new cast, it, it feels cheap. Yeah. Um, what but, really felt cheap to me, um, and we'll get into Picard, but they did the same thing that Nemesis did, which yeah. uh, Picard reverses immediately uh, in, in its first episode, is that they tried to give you Star Trek two and three in the same movie, uh, where they <laughs> killed the character and then brought them back before the movie had ended. Right, right, right. You know, <laughs> which is what they tried to do with B4, and yeah. uh, as much as I was enjoying the first Picard – I hated the ending of Nemesis more than the rest of the movie, which is yeah. not a good movie. Sure. But because they built Data's death and then they're just like, ah, but he's right there. Look, he's seeing Blue Sky just like he was. Yeah. And yeah. I love that Allison Pill goes, before? That guy never worked. You want to see the box we keep him in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but what, what I'm describing here is the it, it's the point that if all we expect as an audience is the same but different, we are in effect dismantling and cheapening our own fandom. We're, we're dismantling and cheapening that thing that made us fans in the first place. Um, and unfortunately, there are some writers and some fans and and some commenters, you know, who who think that's that, that that is what they want or who think that that's what makes Star Trek. Oh, well, if I, if I don't have an enterprise and if I don't have a con and I don't have screaming con, 
then I haven't made Star Trek. Right, and, and that was the criticism yeah. against the next generation initially yeah. was that you don't have a Kirk and you don't have a Spock. So how is this Star Trek? You just put the name Enterprise on right. a ship that doesn't even look like the Enterprise. Right, right, right. Yeah, but but then there they were finding their footing because they got to go on longer. They got to take the thing that was the same, which is people on a ship on a mission to explore. You know, so we we all wrap our heads around that sort of the the mission statement of Star Trek. We just apply it to this other thing. But but then here's Star Trek almost being the victim of its own success. That show is hugely successful. Well, where do you go next? So is the next series going to be another ship with another crew out there doing missions again? Because what's going to happen to them? Oh, well, we ran out of scripts. Do they go to a planet with a bunch of, uh, you know, sexy teenagers jogging all the time. I mean, did, <laughs> do we do that one too? Well, you know, the more and more stories we write around the same premise, um, we're going to hit a wall. So I, you know, if I were in the position of a Rick Berman or Michael Piller or somebody and, and Paramount says, Hey, Star Trek is hot. We need another Star Trek. Uh, I think the inspiration to say, cool, we want to do something in the Star Trek universe, but let's not do another crew on a ship going from planet to planet each week. Let's figure out what happens when you have a mismatched group of people at the Rick's Cafe of the 24th century. Throw them out into this unappreciated, unimportant corner of the universe that suddenly becomes important for different reasons. And let's see what happens there. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is so brilliant and so rewarding about it is that because they can't leave at the end of the the episode, mm-hmm. it there's almost a Simpsons effect in Deep Space Nine where you have your core characters who are all uh, the names at the front of the show, but then because Garrick is not going away, Rom is not going away, Lita is not going away. Yeah, you you return to them again and again, and all of a sudden you have this cast that's thirty, forty characters deep. Yeah, which yeah, yeah. you could never have before or since because you have seven on a ship. Everybody knows that. Right, right. No, I, I love that. So I I think all the all the right ideas are there. Now I I think what's weird for me about ds9 is the sort of thumbing their noses at the rest of star trek you know so i i would actually take this very seriously that here's and we we get that too we get the serious approach to it as well but here is this station that is far away for the rest of starfleet to get to that is in a very challenging place uh, that then, you know, politically becomes a bit of a hot potato. Um, so they they do take that seriously to an extent. But at the same time, there are lines, there are moments where you can tell it's sort of the writers almost giving a wink to the audience like, see, this isn't the Star Trek that you're used to. We're, uh, you know, we're really breaking the rules here. Like, uh, okay, okay. I, and that's know- why... It's so odd that they put Worf on in the middle of it. Yeah. Because they're so right. trying to not be next gen. Yeah. But here's a guy from next gen. And and here's a guy from next gen who now, granted, I'm only eight episodes into it. But for seven years, I got Worf on the Enterprise, plus in the movies, uh, Worf on the Enterprise trying to 
figure out who he is and how he fits in. And then you bring him to DS9, and it feels like you're just starting that same arc over again. Who is he and how does he fit in? Yeah, you are. And as it goes on, I mean, you're only eight episodes in. You'll find that Worf has to grow as a different character over those years because the environment is so different. There's a lot of stories about him uh, butting up against Deep Space Nine and going, well, Starfleet doesn't do this. And Cisco and Odor are like, this isn't really Starfleet. This is Starfleet on a station. Mm-hmm. We have to make these concessions. But the the one thing that I found frustrating at the time, and I know you've gone in order and you've done the series and then the movies, uh, you're at a point in – the actual timeline, I know you hate to jump the timeline, but <laughs> but next the next-gen movies are coming out. Um, you're yeah. right after – you were right before First Contact, I think, and then Voyager is out. Yeah. And it's a different perspective I think you might have of the next-gen movies because Michael Dorn signed in his contract that I still get to be in all the movies. Right. And in yes. first, first Contact, they show the defiant – and Adam Scott is flying the Defiant for some reason. Um, but there's a reason for him to be there. One of my favorite moments in Insurrection is that they turn a corner and Worf is just standing there. And Picard goes, Worf, what are you doing here? And he starts to explain and they cut him off. Yeah. And right. I, I don't want to give spoilers because I know you haven't seen all of Deep Space Nine. But yeah. that's coming off a very heavy season of Deep Space yeah. Nine. Yeah. And in the theater... <sighs> And I was um, – we may have talked about this before. I was working at Artisan, which was a toy company that was doing mm. the Star Trek action figures. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they went on to own the license. They produced the Enterprise figures and then the Diamond Select figures. So they were hardcore Trek fans that I was sitting in the theater with. And that yeah. was like – that was whiplash yeah. because it was this feeling of, well, we've got him on this cult series, but we need him to be the wharf he was. So we'll just kind of ignore that. Yeah. So right. in a way, yeah. you might be lucky that you're not you're not jumping into first contact and back out and insurrection and back out. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, clearly uh, it's the producers knowing, uh, all right, most of the audience for this movie are going to be either TNG fans or people who are coming because they're with TNG fans. You know, movies right. have uh, you know a bigger audience than than your weekly TV audience. So, really, that that thing for Worf, it, it was just to satisfy the people who were, as you said, you know, into this cult show. Uh, essentially, for everybody else, it was just like, oh well, of course Worf is there. Yeah, worst part of the cast, he has to be there. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah. So there's yeah. a there's a little bit of a of a split personality there. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah. speaking of sequels being uh, something the same but different. Yeah. We're pretty far into that first season of Picard, yeah. which is is absolutely challenging. Yeah. The values that that TNG put up, and uh, some people are into it, some people are not into it. Again. Uh, stepping away from the uh, the morals and meanings, how yeah. are you feeling emotionally about Picard? Uh, mixed. I mean, honestly, you know, it, it, it's well, like I said at the beginning of this show, I am enjoying it at, at just as I am enjoying DS9. But then there are things that frustrate the hell out of me about like it. What? Um, so I am not against 
the idea of there being corruption in Starfleet. What I'm against is the idea that it seems like there is constant corruption in Starfleet. You know, uh, TOS gave us the concept of the Badmiral. It, yeah. it gave us the idea that that we also have to look out uh, for what might be coming from the top down that is incorrect or misguided or or downright evil, right? But that wasn't a constant thing there. No, uh, it was you rooted out the bad apple. Right, right, and right, then, right. And yeah. Starfleet was fine. And next gen, you know, you, you shot the guy in the stomach and his head exploded. And, right, And exactly. then everybody was happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get Remick head debris everywhere and then you're cool. And then and you get a handful of people like uh, in, in the episode, the Pegasus, uh, you, you know, you get those people who are misguided, who uh, who are the problem, right. but you identify it and you can. I don't want to say fix it, you know, but uh, because no, but identifying that, it is fixing it. I was just watching the drumhead again yeah, last okay. week, okay, and yeah, yeah. which is a great episode with Gene Simmons, um, and it, you know, and she becomes uh, histrionic at the end yeah. about rooting out the Romulans traitors, and once she exposes herself, that's it. You know, the yeah. admiral looks at her, gets up and walks out. That is the end of the episode. Right. And right, uh, right. without getting too political, um, that's that's a plot device that now rings hollow for me because I'm like, because in the world we're living in, yeah. those people are exposed and there are no consequences. Right. Oh, precisely. So, and precisely. that's one of the things I'm liking about Picard is that um, it – absolutely shows that utopia exists as long as you fight for it and mm. there was a point with the mars attacks where it just became too hard for certain people to fight for and yeah. it's this slow slide and we could regain that yeah well but, uh, so so the, there are sort of the competing things that i love and hate or hate and love about picard and the the thing that i hate is the idea that okay this this reactionary negative and apparently conspiratorial streak runs deeply in Star Trek and the top or, or in Starfleet in the top brass. That that is really frustrating me. All right. But at the same time, what I think is interesting is the idea that okay, we're showing what is probably a natural, understandable reaction to when everything goes to hell around you. Um, and Star Trek constantly shows us these morality tales of living up to the high ideal that you set for yourself. Um, but <laughs> maybe it's just modern storytelling. We're taking an awfully long time to get there. And the other frustrating part about that is that we're taking a long time to get there and really putting all of that pressure on one or two characters, um, you know, when we were covering Discovery season one on Mission Log Live, we went through 15 episodes of getting to a finale where one person from the Discovery crew has to explain to the Admiral that genocide is bad. Right. Um, and and I, think we, it, it, I, I think it is definitely modern storytelling because – we know what we're watching is a 10 episode story where yeah. 
even Deep Space Nine, which is the beginning of the long arcs and the Dominion mm-hmm. is going to carry to the final episode. But the plots are wrapped up in each. And they're sure, like, okay, the sure. Dominion's still a problem, uh, but we've resolved this one thing. And we don't we don't have shows like that. When Picard ends, I'm never prepared for it. It yeah. just feels yeah, like yeah, yeah. I'm watching a scene, and I'm en- also enjoying it so much that I'm not noticing the time go by. Sure. Is that oh, yeah. it just shows up and says, on the next Picard. And I was like, wait, how – why did we stop? <laughs> right, right. And, and you, don't, you don't have that ship going away at the end and Gene Roddenberry's name coming up. Yeah. And here's the thing. I don't mind a long arc. Like, I, I think that's very interesting, and it's a cool way to be able to tell a story. It might be a little overplayed now. I'm kind of waiting for the pendulum to swing back the other direction. Um, but generally, I like the idea. I guess where I'm having trouble here is that this is not Star Wars. The story of Star Wars is constantly the one person or the very small band of people who go against the galactic monolith, you know, the Empire, the First Order, however you want to uh, uh, have your Star Wars delivered to you, and uh, and take down that institutional thing that no matter how it exists, it is rotten. Star Trek has usually been the opposite. It, right. It's not about the one person who has figured out how to go fight against that thing. It's about people who work together and are good at their jobs uh, because they they have the institutional support that they need, they have the companionship and friendship and uh, skills that they need to go do great things. And I um, think the, sh- the shift is right there in the title. <laughs> it's the fact that yeah. it's called Picard. We've yeah. never had a Star Trek show that is about one person. You can yeah. argue that the original series – is about two people for that first season and then three people. Sure. And then yeah. the rest are supporting. But there has never been a Star Trek show that focused on a single character. And what this arc is, is a single character trying to save a single character. You know, right. we're seeing in the backstory right, right. that he couldn't save the universe and he's not even trying now. Yeah. It's what can yeah. he what what can he save that's worth protecting in this universe? Yeah. Now, I I do think that that's one of the more interesting things about Picard is that in this theme of aging and finding one's place, there is also this theme about, you know, righting the wrongs. And it's not that Picard ever did anything wrong. He, you know, as he described in Next Gen, you can do everything right and you can still lose. Presumably he did everything right and his heart was in the right place and he wanted to save the Romulans in their time of need. But it went wrong um, for reasons beyond his control. Now it's like the story of atonement. You know, can I go back and as my last hurrah, go fix these things that were out of my control before or, or at least fix a part of it, help somebody who is a part of it. So I think that's all very interesting. Um, I I think that there's another aspect of this that frustrates me that um, I I got a very interesting email from somebody the other day, and I definitely want to address this in depth on Mission Log Live. Uh, But he said, you know, there's something about this story where you have a conspiracy and like in all popular fiction, once you introduce the idea of a conspiracy, well, if it's popular fiction, it has to be real. 
You know, it's just like, and I wrote back to him and I said, yeah, it's just like a ghost story. If you go see a, a ghost story movie, well, as skeptical as the people in the movie might be, the payoff is, well, you have to reveal the ghost. You know, you, you have to show that that's a real thing. That supernatural thing is actually there uh, because then it's not a horror movie if you don't, you know. All right. Um, it's Scooby-Doo if you don't. Yeah, yeah, which is great. You know, we should have more of that in our pop culture. Um, but the, the concern that he had about this is that not only are we showing that, well, the conspiracy is real, but in the uh, not this week's episode, but last week's episode, here you have the woman who is the alcoholic drug addict who is the conspiracy believer but apparently she's right. And right. he said, in a way, this sort of enables that kind of lack of critical thinking where it's the quote unquote crazy one who's actually right. Um, well, that, and that brings up an interesting point is that the supporting characters are all damaged. And yeah, that's I think that flies in the face whether or not Rod, you take Roddenberry as gospel, but mm. central to his idea was that humanity could evolve, and we've yeah. we're giving a lot of uh, characters who are uh, personally more damaged than the people we know. Um, you know, they they're they're on the level of being in Breaking Bad, some of them, and yeah. it's do has humanity slid back into that where there's alcoholism and. Uh, and, you know, self-doubt and psychological damage. Yeah. That... Well, the, there's a couple of ways to look at this, I think. I mean, first of all, Elnor is pure. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and he's Elnor's Legolas. Yeah, and he's delightful. Um, and I think Rios, we don't know exactly where his damage is from or how deeply that damage goes, but he's made a choice. To, yeah, to, he's, you know... I feel like Rios is our hand solo, but he ends up being Gambit. Yeah, yeah, okay, there you go. There you go, nice. Um, and then Picard is dealing with his own stuff, but we know that Picard's heart is pure. Um, he's he's just in very trying circumstances. Now, Rafi, yep. mm -hmm. um, I, I liked our introduction to Rafi. I really did. And then because Vasquez Rocks was actually Vasquez. Yes, Rocks. yes. How fun was that, right? You <laughs> yeah. know. Um, but uh, I got an email from a Mission Log listener who is very smart and uh, very well versed and uh, writes us these very deep emails. And something that she said in there really, really just sort of struck me dumb, which is she said, Rafi is the one that she's having the biggest problem with because here is a black woman who is an alcoholic, who is a drug addict, who is the uh, the the fringe believer, the conspiracy believer, the you know the the psychologically damaged one, who does not have a functional relationship with anybody. Right, and then a we very saw, strained relationship with her son. Yeah, yeah, and. And in this email, the thing that broke my heart is, uh, she said, this is 52 years after Uhura. Mm. You know, how how have we gone from Uhura as our strong, single, black 
woman, the lead of a TV show, or one of the the regulars on a TV show to Rafi. And I thought, ah, you're not wrong. You know, yeah. um, I, I respect the depth with which they've written these characters. I respect the actor's commitment to those mm-hmm. depths that they have written in those characters. But then I read that email and I just thought, oh, you know what? Maybe there were other choices to be made here, but we still have four more episodes to go. Yeah, this know. could be a redemption arc. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know who gets what level of redemption or how yeah. or how this plays out, but I, I'm going to sit here with my fingers crossed for the best. Yeah, I think what's bothering me about Rafi and uh, have, episode six came out today. Have you watched it yet? I did. Yeah, I just watched it this okay. afternoon. Okay. Yeah. Um, Ra- one of the things that really bothered me was the scene with Raffi's son. She mm. says, I'm clean now. And then in this episode, she is completely drunk. And yeah. I'm like, well, is she lying to her son? Like, are we supposed to side with this character? Because I could understand the redemption arc of like, she's trying to make amends, but then she's in such a state in this episode. I'm like, well, then is she even trying to make amends? Right. You know, you right. know, uh, is she tr- even or do we have a character that's on our crew that is even trying to do the right thing? I mean, you know, even a character like Quark was like the scoundrel with a heart of gold. Yeah. You know, this this is something that Quark wouldn't do. Yeah. 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 Well, and and there, there's uh, there's sort of another uh, comment here. Uh, one of my colleagues at Priority One He said, you know, you look at that scene where Rafi is trying to get credentials for Picard to get through to the artifact. And he said, here she is, you know, drinking out of the bottle of whiskey and everybody around her just sort of enabling. Well, they applaud when she's done. Yeah. They literally applaud. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, is this like, really? Is this right at all? (laughs) Um. Well, what's really bothering me more than Rafi, and this is uh, obviously very plot-driven and it's going to go somewhere, is yep. Gerardi. Because Gerardi yeah. um, was my favorite character right away. Alison Pill's a mm-hmm. great actress. I like her in everything. Mm-hmm. But she had this she had this realism to the yep. nerdiness where she really felt like the everyman. The, the moment I, I truly loved is when they get to Free Cloud and all the banners are popping up. Mm-hmm. And she's got this boxing robot. Right, the rock'em, sock'em robot of the future. Yeah, yeah. and she's saying, I don't hit. Um, And it's not the fact that she hits him, but the fact that she goes to Rios and goes, (laughs) and it was just such a cute, girly thing to do. And and I thought, you know, that's something so many women I've known have acted like that. I've never seen a person act like that on Star Trek because it's always been this heightened yeah. slightly Shakespearean type of tone where they're reciting a lot of jargon and living big. And I'm like, that's such a small little human moment. And then of course, at the end of that episode, she murders Bruce Maddox. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, well now who is she? Because she was the one I was relating to. Right. Well, and yeah, you make a good point. I mean, I think early on, one of our listeners said, uh, she is our relatable character she she's sort of like like alfrey woodard in first contact she's the analog for us and uh now well the plot thickens we we get a more complicated and darker version of her but 
I think what's interesting is that people immediately went to, oh, she's a Romulan spy. Well, they did a couple episodes ago anyway. Uh, I don't think she is. I, I think it's much more complex than that and much more kind of emotionally and personally driven than that. Yeah, I so, think that seat with Commodore O is a turning point. Yeah. yeah and yeah, we, yeah, yeah. we don't see what happens, but I think the lightness – and I just watched that episode again – and uh, I noticed that it's after that episode that just, she just shows up at Picard's house. Yeah, right, you know? right. So, so I think what that's the inciting incident that spins her off into this new direction. Yeah. So I, I'm very interested to see what is revealed about her um, because I feel like it's uh, – the reveal is something much more personal, much more human – about her and i feel like in the star trek tradition what we'll get out of it is that this is a quote-unquote bad guy who is actually acting out of what they think is right as opposed to just the mustache twirling villains right but i i still don't believe as much as we talked about the gray areas Mm -hmm. of of these characters uh i think because we've seen her murder a a helpless character who was important to the plot that we had met before. Yeah. I uh there's n- I don't think there's any way they're going to turn her around. She's the villain, she's going to have to go to jail or yeah. you know, die but we don't see the body kind of thing. She's she's going to have to be punished. Yeah. And that I feel disappointed by that cuz I thought yeah. this yeah. was a really unique character in Trek canon. Uh, yeah. And I, that moment like made me feel robbed of it. As much as I'm enjoying the show, and I want to see where it's going. Yeah. Um, and I'm not a person who gets angry because because a story didn't do my personal fan fiction. Right. I, I, <laughs> exactly. I don't read fiction or watch fiction to be given what I expect to happen. I like to be surprised. Yeah. Uh, I defend weird franchise movies like Batman Returns or Iron Man 3 <laughs> because I'm like, well, I didn't expect that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, or even First Contact. First Contact uh, is my favorite of the Next Generation movies, and it really takes a big swing away from what the TV show was. I mean, yeah. we see – we see – it's not as far as Picard, but we see a Picard that is out for revenge for most of that film. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, you're hitting on something that I think just speaks to a much bigger and, and broader issue here is that, you know, look, you and I have criticisms about Picard. At the same time, I'm enjoying it. At the same time, I'm invested in it. And I can't wait to see how it ends. Right. Um, I and I can't. I don't know if it will end because we know there's a season two. Yeah, so it's like, right, will this story right. continue, or or we do we wrap this up and now season two is a brand new story? Right. And because right. it's called Picard, it could be a brand new story that has none of these characters. Yeah. 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 Only, exactly. The only thing we know about season two is that Whoopi Goldberg said she'd be on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, you know what I never want to do is take away somebody's enjoyment or enthusiasm of their fandom 
um, uh, with two exceptions, uh, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull and uh, the Star Wars prequels. Okay, but other than that, other than that. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't hate Crystal Skull as much as most people do. Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite movie ever made. Okay. I think I love Raiders of the Lost Ark to the point where I forgive every sequel. They're all flawed. Sure. They, sure. They, the thing that I love about Raiders of the Lost Ark is it balances every genre of film just right. You know, it's got enough romance. Yeah. It's got enough mystery. It's got enough horror. It's got enough intrigue. It's got enough comedy. And each of the sequels tips a little too far. People love Last Crusade because it tips too far into comedy. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Temple of Doom tips too far into horror. Yeah. Crystal Skull, I I enjoy that beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoy the warehouse. I enjoy it. Oh, that movie! And I want to see this fifth one. I don't know now that Spielberg's oh, not look. doing it. I, I'll I'll be there on opening night as well if yeah. it happens. Yeah, um, I, I, I have mixed feelings about that because Spielberg just said he's not going to do it, but James yeah. Mangold said he would and i uh, adored logan and logan is the reason we have picard because patrick stewart said it was he, the new approach to professor x in that film oh yeah that got him to, to think well if i could approach picard differently yeah. i would be interested in doing it again yeah well and, and look that, that that's just it i mean there, there's two things at play here i I want to see stories that are new and interesting and challenging. I want the actors to go to new and challenging places. I I want more different than I want the same, uh, I, it, generally speaking. Um, I, I'm also okay with the fact that I don't have to love every Star Trek equally the same way that I love TOS or the same way that I love Next Gen or, or whatever. Like, that. that's fine you know no, it, never, it really is I'll, I'll never love voyager the way i love tng yeah. i mean i've already i've already been through that yeah that, that that's perfectly fine what i find terrible is um you know you, you should never read the comments and yet i do um what i find terrible is you know fan gatekeeping sorry fan gatekeeping and the hatred and vitriol and the outright dismissal of not only the people who work on Trek, but the people who are fans of what's going on in Star Trek. Like I would much rather sit down and have a conversation with somebody about what they are getting out of that story that I'm not. Um, right. I, I happen to really like reading I, uh, you know, positive and negative reviews of, say, movies that I go see, uh, even if I really loved something, I want to read a negative review of that thing because I, I, I want to sort of challenge my own perception of it. You know, oh, was I just sort of wowed by special effects or cool camera work or was I sucked into, you know, maybe a, a an emotional story that played as phony to somebody else. I want to know these things. Right. There's always, and, there's always the chance that someone else's opinion will influence your own. Yeah. And you'll yeah. be able to see something in a broader sense. I feel like we've lost that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I think it's terrible to go online and, and read stuff uh, that's just, you know, I, I don't understand where it's coming from. You know, I, I'm sort of amused and horrified every time uh, there's uh, a paid post on Facebook from CBS that's even something very innocuous, like uh, not even an ad for a show, but like, 
hey, here's a cool interview with somebody from Discovery. And then all the people, and they're always the same people, who make sure that they hit the angry face and make sure that they write something like, you know, I'm not watching that fake track, Gene right. will be rolling over in his grave and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, first of all, you're an idiot wasting your time <laughs> by doing this, you know? Second of all, you're I not really, changing anyone's mind by saying no, this. no, no, no. And second of all, I really don't care about what you don't like. Like I do not have a habit of walking into restaurants that I don't like and letting them know that I will not be eating there. Yeah, I th I always find that the stance a lot of these people take, especially in fandom, is that most most people that are into science fiction believe they're smart. Yeah. Um, you know, it rewards the intelligent. And, uh, one of the ways to be smarter than something is by saying something is dumb. Mm -hmm. So by yeah. saying that this is fake Trek and it's bad, therefore I'm saying I am smarter than this show they are producing. Therefore I feel really good about myself now. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and look, I just, uh, part of me doesn't have the mental bandwidth for that. Um, when I uh, when I was in Chicago, uh, I produced what was a TV show that became a web series that became a radio show that became a podcast. Just kept the, shrinking. I know, right? Right. Uh, uh, expenses were out of hand. Uh, I'm surprised called, it didn't start as a feature film. I know, right? It should have. That'll be my next story. Uh, but it eventually it, it was, became me talking to my cat. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, but it was called DVD Geeks. And the whole point of that show was, well, was reviewing DVDs and Blu-rays. And uh, one of the sort of guiding... Yeah, right, right. Uh, one of the sort of guiding tenets of that show is that we only wanted to talk about the DVDs and Blu-rays that we liked. And, and it wasn't a matter of giving a fake positive review to something it was okay look there's tons of stuff in the marketplace and we get tons of screeners to watch um i don't want to spend the time or the effort or the money on spending your time by telling you how much i hated something um what i really want to do and and you know yeah we we would slip in a little thing like say hey this is better than this other thing or skip this Instead, get this and really spend our time talking about what we loved about a particular DVD or, or even the, the special features on a DVD that elevated that thing to the next level. So I, I now I'm in a little bit different position now where my task is to watch all of Star Trek. And, yeah, there's some clunkers in there that, of course, they're going to be out of the hundreds of hours of Star Trek that exist. Um but I'm starting, even the ones that I hate, <laughs> I'm starting with the position that I love Star Trek. So right. I, I'm not going to go into something going like, well, it's not Star Trek. Or, well, there's always know. the hope that the next one will be better. And with so sure, much Star Trek, sure. I mean, I had that same experience with Discovery. I watched season one of Discovery and I didn't like it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought it, it was plot driven, but I didn't care about the characters. Uh, I had continuity problems. I did not know why the Klingons were blue. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't need sex scenes with blue Klingons. Uh, but uh, uh, and then I quit CBS All Access when the season 
ended. So yeah. I rejoined for Picard. Yeah. And I figured, well, I'm paying for CBS All Access. I might as well try season two. And mm-hmm. season two is much, much better. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think a lot about Next Gen, as I was saying in the beginning of this podcast. That first season, uh, because I didn't like the first season of Next Gen, I missed seeing Best of Both Worlds when it aired. Like, I yeah. didn't see it till years later because I gave up. And I, I'm not someone who likes to quit things. Yeah. Uh, right. So, right. S- so to turn my back on something, it's really got to infuriate me. Yeah. And yeah, there's – I'm always hoping when something's bad, it will at least be funny. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and look at this. You know, so if the worst that comes out of it is that there is a season of discovery that you just really didn't like, okay, Um what you're saying is that the equivalent of one sixth of TOS is something that you really didn't like. And you yeah, know what? That, there's more than one sixth of TOS that I really don't <laughs> right, like. <laughs> right. I was about to say, as a died in the wool TOS fan, I'm sure that I can pick at least a sixth of TOS that I don't <laughs> yeah. like. So yeah. um, I don't even yeah. need to put Spock's brain in there. Yeah, right. Right. It could right. be turnabout intruder. Oh, God, or um, oh, what's the one with uh, uh, Lazarus? Oh, yeah, the alternative yeah. factor. Alternative factor. Where oh. it, it ends with just like negative flashing. Oh, trapped I, in a corridor. I had oh. I have a weird memory of that. I know it's not the first time I saw it, but in the '90s, and it's not. It, it sounds like we were in New York at the same time. I'm mm. from there, but uh, oh. remember Channel Eleven? Channel Eleven would have like a Fourth of July marathon of star trek and it would be 36 hours straight Mm -hmm. and i remember in college being up all night and it was like five in the morning and the old they were showing the alternative factor and it got to that final fight and i was very tired and i was just like i just don't understand what's happening right right and his beard is very distracting uh it's all distracting it's uh, yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah, you know, uh, this is something that uh, Ken and I had talked about when Discovery came on. And, you know, of course, I, look, there are good reasons for that to not be somebody's Star Trek. That's fine. And there are things about that story that frustrate me, some of which I talked about earlier. Um, but one of the nice things about the way that Star Trek is being made now is that not everything has to be precious because we're not waiting 20 years for the next version of Star Trek. You know, we get a, well, the the first season of Discovery is a little bit longer than what will be the norm, but we got 15 episodes as opposed to what we get now, 10, 10 to 13 episodes or something. Um, and then you're done with it for a while. And then something else comes along. And then we got short tracks. And, you know, not all of those have to be perfect, uh, but the ones that you really love are going to be the ones that somebody else really hates and vice versa. Right. Now, speaking of the podcast, um, mm-hmm. you just – how old is the podcast? Is it seven years? Uh, we started in August of 2012, so about seven and a half years. Although, oh. uh, as you and I talk today, it's uh, late February. We actually – we started our demos I want to say like in February or March of 2012. So the the actual work on it is about eight years. Wow. That's, that is longer than any Star Trek series has ever run. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) 
<laughs> you are absolutely right. But you've recently had a major change because Ken left, and now yeah. Norman's in. How how is the show different for you? Do you feel like do you feel like the expert and the old like the old guru <laughs> on the hill, or do you feel like it's a brand new show because the dynamic that you have with Norman is different than the dynamic you had with Ken? It is, yeah, and you know that that's something that I talk to people about a lot uh, before we pick Norman and and after we pick Norman, which is yeah, it's going to change. Uh, mission log will change. It will be different. And I, for one, embrace the change. I, I want to always try to make the best out of what I'm doing, something that I'm that I'm involved in. And uh, Norman brings different strengths, uh, which is kind of cool to navigate and explore with him. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to put my finger precisely on the hows or whys or, or whatever. I, I don't want to compare, you know, Ken mm -hmm. to Norman or Norman to Ken. Um, but I will say that just it, it, it's been a, a blast to have him on. It was a blast working with Ken. And the thing that has stayed the same between the two is that for, you know, 90 minutes every week, I get to turn on a mic and talk to somebody about Star Trek. And yeah. I've been lucky that in both iterations, I've been able to talk to a friend about Star Trek and have a good time doing it. Um, well, that's great because I remember uh, when you used to talk about the podcast, you would say this is a 17-year podcast. Yeah. And now yeah. it seems you'll be doing this for the rest of your life. It kind of does seem like that, right? <laughs> well, to wrap up, uh, John, yeah. how do you – how do people find the podcast if they haven't listened to Mission Log before? Sure. Uh, we'll find all the Roddenberry podcasts at podcasts.roddenberry.com. Uh, there's seven shows on the network right now. There are more in very active development uh, that are coming your way. Uh, so over there, you will find Mission Log, Mission Log Live, which I'd love for people to join us for Monday nights, 7 o'clock on facebook.com slash missionlogpod, uh, where we I take calls. Yeah, I've been following the recordings on the website. Oh, good. Which have good. been really good. And you're working with uh, Reiko, who's on Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, well, and on Star Trek Discovery. Um, yeah. what, what's fun about that is that the live show is a little bit of a free-for-all. You know, the mission log format is the format. And, and Norman is my co-host going forward until one of us is not, you know. Um, <laughs> But the live show, we're treating with a lot more freedom, and Reka will be my co-host for Picard, and then Norman will be my co-host for a couple of wrap-up episodes and with some guests. And then after that, we're really going to change it up. I'll be around probably the majority of the time, but not all the time. And then when we get to Discovery Season 3 or Lower Decks, it'll be a different co-host. It'll be me and somebody else. Maybe you've heard of, maybe you've not heard of. And then maybe for another short while, it'll be Norman and somebody else. So uh, it's been cool to have Reka. Her perspective is awesome. The energy that she brings to it is awesome. And... Um, you know, every week, whether it's Mission Log or Mission Log Live, and we we're just talking about the the change in co-hosts for me, um, I I look forward to it as a way to learn from a conversation. You know, some weeks I take a lot of notes, 
and, and I, I just have to get out whatever's on my chest. Other weeks, I just, I want to hear the other person talk <laughs> and, and I just, I, I want to ask good questions and, and really dig to the bottom of what somebody else is thinking. Um, that was part of the fun of the live show is that, you know, we didn't have the time really to treat discovery and or Picard and everything else is coming the way we treat regular mission log. So I have the privilege of letting our callers tell me what they think. And that's, that's the most fun. Yeah. And John, how do we find you outside of the podcast? Uh, well, you know, I'll be down the street later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, you can find me on Facebook, John Champion. You can find me on Instagram. Uh, I think the most fun that I have there is Slow Mo Gentleman, which is, uh, as it sounds, Slow Mo Gentleman. And um, on Twitter, when I'm not on as Mission Log Pod, I'm on as, here's a callback, DVD Geeks. <laughs> so uh, that this is sort of me now. It's no longer the show, you know. <laughs> And as always, you can follow me at Not In My Book on Instagram and Twitter. That is the official Caffeinated Comics social networking feed. You can also follow the Facebook page, facebook.com slash caffeinated comics, for all the news and conversations that are going on. And as always, you can listen to us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, or just go to the Radio Misfits podcast network, radiomisfits.com, and click on the Lifestyle tab. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>